if you want to open up your Bibles again to Mark chapter 4, that would be great. I'm going to spend a little bit of time uh, in this passage, uh, but I don't know if this was commonly said, uh, or is still commonly said, in your home. Uh, if not, it gives you a little insight into what mine was like when uh, I was growing up. And if my mum was talking and uh, maybe asking me for help or uh, to do something, maybe turn the TV off or uh, come and help with this uh, or dinner's ready and there was no response she w- and she expected a response or hoped for one at least, she would say, are you heeding me? Which, of course, I would say, yes. Maybe with a little undertone of, of course, I've just responded, yes, of course. But if there was no action, she was expecting something. Um, And if there was still no action, she would then say, are you heeding me? Which was then followed with silence on my part and dutifully following her request. Um, And, well, at least that's what my memory serves me. Um, Or maybe in a meeting at work and the action points have been divided up and weeks pass and the dreaded question comes, how are you getting on with that task? And you've completely forgotten about it and you haven't even started. Or maybe the most common for everybody is when you've gone to the shops, you've got the mental list of things to get or you've been told about the things you need to get and you come back and you haven't got anything that you went there for. Lizzie is often frustrated with me with that fact when I go with a physical list and I still can't get everything on that list. Uh, Somehow, I don't know how, it just happens. Uh, But if you can humour these examples, the outcome of hearing was quite different from the one of heeding of listening, of acting. And today we're going to look at that in uh, God's Word in in Mark chapter 4. And today we find ourselves looking in on Jesus, his newly appointed disciples, a large crowd, and a boat, which is maybe not the most exciting picture at the outset. Um, But there's a a lot to cover, but um, we're going to notice a couple of things. And the disciples appear to be getting better at their crowd management skills as they tour. And there's not a noted prompt from Jesus having to suggest to get a boat ready uh, for him as he does in Mark uh, chapter 3 verse 9. And it's fascinating to think that the boat is actually intended not for his safety uh, because of a large crowd, but primarily to aid his teaching. So... Cam waters a little distance from shore, and it's created his own amphitheater um, for everyone to be captivated, or at least some people will be captivated. Others are maybe just there wanting to glean whatever wisdom they can from this new celebrity ruffling feathers. And the crowd were in for the long haul, as I said earlier. Uh, hopefully, you're not today, but Jesus had a lengthy talk in store for them. Mark 4 verse 2, he taught them many things by parables. And God has drawn us to a handful in the following sections. Uh, We're going to focus on just one thing. Um, You'll be glad James uh, suggested to cut it down. Just one thing. 
uh, throughout all these sections. But we need to go to the secret ingredient first in verse 12. And we're to hear and see what it means for us. We arrive at a divide. There are two groups of people. And from what we can gather here, it's actually a fundamental point for all of Jesus' parables, uh, as suggested by him in uh, verse 13. So by Jesus sharing a parable, some people will see the deeper point, while others won't. Some people will understand how it impacts their life. Others won't. The result, some will turn to Jesus and be forgiven, and others will not. Now, even for the Christian, this can be a bit of a mental battle, uh, a bit of a wrestle that we have to work through over God's sovereignty and uh, the appointing of his children. And it may even, for you, call into question uh, the injustice of what Jesus says um, here. But if we're going to call into God into question God's injustice, then we need to just dig a little deeper uh, before we think any further. And, and the following quote might encourage some and potentially challenge others. If you're in slightly inquisitive, uh, you can turn to Psalm chapter ten, uh, Psalm 10, sorry, uh, verse 16 to 18. Uh, and the quote is from a book by Andrew Wilson uh, called Incomparable. Uh, Focus, it takes time to chapter by chapter look at characteristics of God. Um, and here he says, one of three things causes injustice. Impotence, a lack of power to do anything about it. Ignorance, a lack of awareness of evil. And impassivity, a lack of compassion. In verses 16 to 18, as I said of Psalm 10, we see that Yahweh suffers from none of these problems. With absolute power, Yahweh is king forever and ever. Knowledge, you hear the desire of the afflicted. And compassion, you will incline your ear to do the justice, uh, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Now, some of you may still have questions and remain unconvinced just because I've uh, quoted something from a book. Um, but speak to somebody about it. Again, that we, we're going to have uh, some busy lunches today um, if you want to speak about that at lunch as well. And maybe even just speak about it, uh, chat about it with one another at your tables after the service. But we're continuing based off this, that God is not unjust towards us. Quite the opposite. Jesus bears injustice for us, and in his absolute power cleans our records of wrong and welcomes us into his kingdom. It, it's, it's not in any way, we can't compare it uh, to the craze at the moment by influencers who are, um, they've got people staged uh, around recording them walking up to a stranger and uh, asking for a pound. And if a kind soul uh, is able to offer them a pound for the bus because they claim to have no money, they then receive thousands of pounds. It's just a test of kindness. And uh, there's plenty of viral videos to, to prove that. And this is not the, what's happening here. But that's not the kingdom of God. Jesus graciously takes on the injustice which is actually against him. And gives us an eternal hope beyond anything we can compare. So if we carry this understanding of God's justice through this passage and into his other parables, 
it will be a step in the right direction, but today we find ourselves looking at one out of two significant blocks of teaching in Mark, and both direct us to the kingdom of God. And we're being led right back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And my one and only overarching uh, guiding point for today is the model sower. And that, that's what hopefully we're going to come back to um, again and again. But this kingdom, uh, this reign of God is an amazing thing to consider. But how is the advancement of this great and glorious kingdom compared with seeds, soil, and frankly, a reckless sower? It's not an undersell tactic. In fact, uh, as James Edwards comments on it and says, the God whom Jesus introduces will not be kept at a celestial arm's length. Jesus does not tell us how high and lofty God is, but how very near and present he is, and how the routines of planting and harvesting are mundane clues to the nature and plan of God. This very real-world example is a way in which God is revealing himself, and maybe even on this occasion as the crowds have gathered, they've passed a sower in the field, or maybe there's a sower there who can relate exactly to this parable. Maybe this is the closest they've ever come to God's word, as prior to that it had been guarded by rituals or class divide ceremonies, but this parable cuts through all of that. Even at this most basic level, Jesus is looking at the world around him and seeing exactly what hooks that people can relate with. And I know I've, I've shared this in a uh, Passion for Life uh, session uh, previously, but for me, a coat hook is a really helpful example um, to think about when, if somebody comes into your home, uh, like the youth, uh, we got to go to um, Sean and Ian Forbes' home last week, and we went in, there's uh, lots of ho uh, coat hooks uh, ready for us to hang our coats. But as we go in, we hang our coats up, when we leave, we have to get our coats from the same area. We have to return to that same dedicated point. Um, or even if you're out at a restaurant or at a concert, often there's dedicated areas. To get your coat, you have to go to the same area to get it back. And it's the same with our friends. They could make a really interesting observation about what's happening in the world right now. And without being insensitive, virtually everyone is willing to talk about the war in Ukraine, the injustices, the refugees, the Russian tactics, the strength of the Ukrainian leader. And it's a prime example of looking at the world around us and being able to take our conversations to that stage two, as the Passion for Life sessions have uh, highlighted, those deeper questions that sadly uh, war brings about. But it might be that you just don't have the opportunity to speak with somebody after they've made this interesting point, time's cut short, and uh, you can't go into it, and you're left feeling frustrated, and like you've made no progress, and you're like, oh, what a wasted opportunity. But let's not fall into that trap, because actually it can be a hook, and even <laughs> in a, a loose connection, the disciples do that. They come back to Jesus and ask questions about what he was talking about. 
and we can even highlight highlight that with people even if we don't have the time or maybe even the confidence in the moment but we know that's a that's a really important opportunity that could um we could go into deeper questions and conversations even flag it in that moment and say i, I want to come back to that at some point um and speak to you more about that and it's one of the most liberating things that i've learned um even when we feel powerless in that moment we can trust that god can still use it and we don't want to remain in that routine of default reaction of uh, deferral 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 because it can just become a little excuse but it can be really liberating in the sense of if we don't know much about the topic um and and we do just want to find out a little bit more before we're able to engage uh, recently, when I, I text uh, one of the guys I'm getting to know a little bit better uh, on inviting them to an outreach event, uh, they were interested initially, and then I gave them more details about the gospel talk and who was running the event, and shortly after that I received a response, and they were really honest with me, and said the event did not match with their personal values. They weren't going to be coming, but hoped we had a great time at it. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but for me, disappointing, yes, but I thought that's a great opportunity to come back to because the potential to go into so many different areas of why does this not align uh, with your personal values? Um, so hoping to catch up with them soon. And it's not the only thing we're going to speak about. It's not, it's not my intention to come with a Bible verse that will uh, demolish all his worldviews in one fell swoop. But... I pray if it's anything like this passage and if I'm lear to learn anything from this passage that I'll be able to share God's word and, and wait obediently knowing God is in control. And maybe that's a struck a chord with you because I know how many people we are praying for as a church even ahead of these events. And even just hearing, um, even at our, our prayer meeting uh, on Wednesday night uh, about people's encouraging conversations and uh, people being invited along it is encouraging and it does sort of bolster us all up uh, to continue on and do it ourselves um that we would use these hooks to pray to remember them uh, and to take the opportunity to know a little more just because in that one instance we weren't able to speak Use it as an encouragement for future opportunities to sow God's word. If Jesus can compare God's kingdom, the vastness and, and might of God's kingdom, with a simple sower and make one of his most fundamental teachings about it here, then be encouraged at the many possibilities of things happening in our lives, the struggles, the, the real realities that we face, be used to point our friends and family to Jesus. But almost on the flip side of that point, we see the further liberating reality that Jesus presents to us. Follow with me uh, looking at Mark chapter 4 verse 3 to 7 and ask the question, how is the harvest going? Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns 
which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear again. It's not going well. Uh, my uncle uh, has a farm and does contracting work like sowing and, and spreading and I can almost guarantee that if he rocked up to this field he would turn around and walk away with the, the compact soil for paths around the rocky soil and thorns they're just a lethal combination for a bad harvest in terms of an ROI or return on investment you'd run a country mile from this field and yet the sower or, or farmer goes out and sows the seed and they don't just find the good soil they sow everywhere they're gener generous even when the soil is difficult. They sow right to the very edge of their boundaries and beyond onto the path. The sower has a job and they are fulfilling it because in verse 8 we see the result. A glorious harvest, but it seems so unlikely when three quarters of Jesus' examples make us think this is going to be a total failure. Uh, but as I was thinking about this more, it made me think about who is modelling being the sower. Jesus. He, he didn't come to earth and only walk up to the people who he knew were going to be his children. And then once he reached them all, sat back and, and relaxed. He didn't take the Bill Gates approach of, I choose a lazy person to do a hard job because a lazy person will find an easy way to do it. And there's certainly no record of Jesus having someone come up to him and he pauses and then turns away because he ultimately knows they're not going to be saved. There's engagement. So if Jesus, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, does not do that, how do we think we can do that? We sometimes become self-appointed judges and somehow think we are to determine the future of our friends and family and newcomers now, I want to suggest that we make the task harder for ourselves and even more burdensome uh, than it should be. When we self-appoint ourselves as judges and decide who to withhold the news of the kingdom of God from, a few things become clear. We do not rest in God's sovereignty, knowing that he can save this person that very moment or, or in years to come. We make the task infinitely more difficult for ourselves because we have to weigh up the likelihood of a person becoming a Christian or, or not, which then paralyzes us from doing it anyway. Uh, in my previous job uh, in retail, uh, we had, where I worked, lots of glass windows so you could see all the lovely customers walking around. And you had to speak to everybody. You had to because you never knew who was going to buy. Uh, before I left that job, I, I was able to look at a couple of uh, stats. Uh, this is rough figures. It, in the time that uh, I was there, just, just over a year working, um, sold about 130 units. Uh, recorded conversations, about 1,000. And unrecorded conversations, at least double that. Uh, so in terms of return on investment, pretty poor. Uh, certainly not as good as my colleagues. But without engaging with every single person, I could never tell from a distance who was going to buy and who wasn't going to buy. And that's often 
the way uh, sometimes the most unlikely characters who bought were the ones who just paid uh, vast sums in cash and you would probably walk past them in the street thinking you needed to offer them a pound. In those moments, the, the judgment of who was going to buy never worked out well. And in that similar sense, we make the task more difficult for ourselves when we take on that burden. Um, sorry, thirdly, referring back to injustice at the beginning, if you have uh, the notice sheet, we see the quotes uh, at the back, we actually are the ones who are unjust in our actions towards the person because we lack absolute power, knowledge, and compassion. And fourthly, we're ignoring the only two calls placed on us as followers of Jesus in this passage. Again, my loyal friend James Edwards highlights, apart from sowing, the, ho the only human activity in this parable is waiting in faith, confident of a harvest to come. The coming of the kingdom of God is likened to a process of growth, but a process strangely independent of human activity. James uh, 5 verse 7 to 8 links in here as well. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now I do want to us to reflect on this mindset but uh, that we fall into so easily uh, and, and to really run from it uh, when we feel it creeping in. But actually I want us again to spur us back to Jesus, to the simple example he shows. Jesus models grace. He sows to thousands, big groups, little groups, individuals, he heals, he restores, he feeds. Wherever he goes, he scatters the seed. He shares the news of God's kingdom. And yet, with many, uh, with the many uh, interactions Jesus has, by the time we reach Acts chapter 1, there's about 120 recorded followers. And just from this position, the ratio of conversation to conversion is not high. But that's almost exactly the point. We know already about the justice of God is not going to save all. And who am I to suggest that Jesus' conversion ratio, uh, ratio was a bit of a gutter ball? No, Jesus had the perfect harvest because the harvest is not recorded annually or biannually or a census every 10 years. He has an eternal perspective and we are called to think eternally as well. And even as we think ahead to our Easter events, uh, not to be disheartened or to put all our Easter eggs in one basket, um, with having one or two opportunities every year with Easter and Christmas, and uh, again, this is, I'm not putting, uh, trying to fan out our, uh, the flame of these events because they are so important and they're uh, incredibly encouraging uh, to be part of. But we can also think beyond them, because if we focus on the two, there's a lot of pressure on these two events. Um, but let's raise our expectations and model, as Jesus did, scattering the word of God wherever we go. We can be liberated from becoming self-appointed judges uh, and leave that to God uh, and wait in faith, being confident that the harvest will come. 
we're covering a lot of ground um, and there's a danger to fall into exactly what Jesus highlights in the middle section of just coming away with a nice story. Uh, some people, the crowd will have done that and said they've been able to meet Jesus, hear his teaching. Um, I really hope we don't do that today, um, that we would leave having something pressed on our hearts and mind by, uh, by God's spirit and through his word. Uh, the reason for reading a larger section rather than just a single parable itself is that we can see the broader themes that run throughout the Bible uh, and an excuse hopefully to uh, talk slightly less later on in the service. Uh, and right at the beginning of our reading in Mark 3 we see the interaction between Jesus and a crowd. They appear to relay a message to Jesus that his family are trying to find him. Maybe the crowd feels slightly awkward after this exchange after this exchange, baffled as to why they've been called family over Jesus' flesh and blood. But for Jesus, he is a crowd who is listening to his words, and by this they're undoubtedly hearing about the will of God as the Son of God speaks. To hear about the will of God is a moment when we, are a, we have a call to let the reign of God fill our life. So, of course, Jesus is laying a call on people's lives by once again distinguishing those who are for him and those who are against him. But as the secret ingredient would suggest in verse 12, some will merely hear but not understand. The parable is incredibly helpful in reinforcing this call to hear. In verse 20, it's supposedly different from uh, previous uh, uses. James and uh, David can clarify that for you. But uh, for those of us who hear the word, like in verse 20, there is an ongoing growth from it. And that, that's quite obvious from the parable as well. There was no growth or there was very little growth or it happened very quickly and then died. But it's long term. It's uh, eternal. Uh, and that's the Christian life. There's a fruitfulness, a process of being made more like Jesus. But we must hear and obey. Even as we think about uh, when we become self-appointed judges, deciding whether or not we should share the gospel with people, whether it will work in their lives, but from Jesus' examples just here, that those people we might think would be most receptive to the call and jump to the cause, sometimes aren't the first people to jump. It happens with his family, the disciples, and the religious rulers. Now, of course, we've got the benefit of uh, uh, the rest of the Bible and knowing how the story unfolds. And uh, they do not, the di disciples don't remain sort of lost, bambling sheep uh, bouncing between uh, posts. And they're undoubtedly the ones who are considered part of the, the bumper crop. But. Does this not suggest all the more that we should scatter seed as we go? Because the least likely people, people are often the most receptive. And at the beginning of chapter 3, we see the religious leaders, who we might deem the most receptive, actually want to destroy him. Mark 4 verse 27 reminds us that it is in God's hand. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. True spiritual hearing is needed for conversion and forgiveness, and once again we fall into and under God's grace. 
This true change does not come about with without God doing the background work. He's the one who prepares the good soil for the word to take root and to reign in that person person's life. We can have confidence in the harvest as well because God is the one who does all the heavy lifting and preparing. Jesus was the one who was sent. Jesus is part of that. There's an incredible hope um, of eternity that uh, we often forget and pale from um, when we're speaking with our non-Christian friends and family uh, and we forget that Jesus will not let them hang out to dry if uh, he has called them. Uh, Jonathan Edwards puts it like this, unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotting cover. And there was, there are innumerable places in this covering so weak that they will not bear the, their weight and these places are not seen. So it's a reminder of the reality for our friends and family. And again, I, I do really want to impress that when I was looking at this uh, previously, I've often felt maybe slightly disheartened um, at the, the process and feeling the pressure um, on us to share God's word. And I really hope that's not the case today, that we see in this sort of simple call that Jesus places on us and, and the action for us, it is simple and, and coherent to understand. But it is a sobering reality to think about the that quote of the final hurdle we face and the most distinctive divide of two groups of people who have heard and acted or not of where they will spend eternity. Let it fix our eyes all the more on Jesus and heed his call to us to scatter his word as we go and wait in faith this Easter. My prayer for us as Christians today would be to take up the gauntlet and look at the non-Christians around us and pray, Father, bless this soul too, and crown that soul too. Let us go to heaven together. Let us be made happy together. Amen.